This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets Podcast. It's H-Town Hoops, hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. All right, H-Town Hoops Podcast here. Brandon Scott, Adam Spolane, Austin Mendez producing this thing for us. And Adam, look, the last time we talked, we were discussing a really disappointing return from the All-Star break by the Rockets um, against the New Orleans Pelicans. It was a really disappointing showing um just all around and and since then they beat the suns and then they lost back-to-back games against the oklahoma city thunder now i i think it's you know worth pointing out that they beat the suns because a lot of the fixation is on the last couple of games against the thunder and it feels a little odd to be upset about them losing emphatically against a team that is so clearly far and away better than them, but it is still frustrating watching the way that they played these last couple of games and how they lost these these last couple of games. It's sort of like this this realization of them not being good enough offensively overall, and the defense just falling apart. Uh, things that we've discussed already here on the podcast, but I'll let you have the floor before we get into some of these specific points about what we've seen. What, what do you think about the, the Rockets over the last three games since the last time we chatted? I mean, they went one and two against, what, two of the five best teams in the Western Conference? Yeah. And I don't I, I don't necessarily get the angst over that. I mean, they, they played Oklahoma, Oklahoma City might wind up with the best record in the Western Conference. They might win an NBA championship. And people are upset because they lost two games to that team. They've already beaten them once this year. So it's it's strange to, I guess it's kind of strange to me that all of a sudden there's just this, uh, there's, there's been this, like, I don't know if panicky is the right way to put it, but there's just kind of been this, I guess, panic or whatever it is around just that, that, that I've heard just because they're not as good as Oklahoma city. They're not as good as Phoenix. So why are the expectations that they were supposed to go, you know, three and zero against those teams? They they could have, you know, they were they played well against Oklahoma City the first game for what a half. I mean, sometimes you got to take your wounds when you can get them. This this is just not that good a team, and I don't think that that should surprise anybody. They won twenty two games last year. They are heavily reliant on young players, and that doesn't always end well. And so, this is just kind of like what you should be expecting and maybe they maybe they kind of tease people with the way that they played for the first 27 games 
you know, I think that if you would have saw the, those games, you thought, okay, this team has a chance to be in the play-in. But now as this team has played, as this thing has played out, they've kind of fallen back down to earth. And, you know, this is this is just what happens. The fact that they have already uh, supplanted their win total from last year is a good thing. Um, so I, you know, I it's it's been a very strange last 24 hours, I guess, is the way that I would put it. Yeah, well, I, I think I can speak to a little of the angst because I, I think what's happening is a little bit of like this realization of exactly what you just said. The fact that it's that it's not a good team. Like, I, I think you can take in both pieces of information that they are by pretty much every measure a better team than they were last year. I mean, even with the complaints about the offense, which I'm going to I'm going to get to in just a second. But like with all of that they're a better team offensively like i probably marginally but better offensively they are much much better defensively overall and you've seen some growth from alperin shingoon i think overall what fred van bleet and dylan brooks have provided has been positive jabari smith jr's development i think for the most part has been positive but adam the realization of what you just said that this is not a very good team and I don't think the expectation was that they were going to go three and zero or two and one against two teams that are definitely better than them, more talented than them, but that it would look that the offense would look so pedestrian at times that the consistency issues that we talk about with that we talk about with this team on a consistent basis would still persist that the players that you had the high expectations for going into the season, and we talked a lot about this already too, uh, specifically with Jalen Green, that it would look the way it has, I guess, the last couple of games specifically. Um, and even with Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks, who I mentioned, like the feeling that even that positive, those positive additions are starting to leak a little bit. I, I think that's I think that's part of the ink. A little, a little bit of what you said that they tease people a little bit, but also that it's just not a very good basketball team, and I think that's that's frustrating for people to watch and for people to accept. But they shouldn't they have known that coming in? Yeah, you but know what I, I mean, like they 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 went seventeen and fifty five, twenty and sixty, and or twenty and sixty two, and then twenty two and sixty the last three years, and yeah, they made some additions to the roster for sure. But is that suddenly going to turn a 22-win team into a 40-win team? Like, let's be honest, in the Western Conference, the answer was probably no. So I guess maybe the expectations were set too high by the team or by the people. Because I just – this is what we talked about at the start of the year. Like, the odds of this team actually being in the play-in – were incredibly small when you consider how much ground they had to make up and who they were going to be up against. I mean, the Western Conference is really good. And the fact that right now you are going to have LeBron James and Steph Curry not just playing in the playing game, but they're going to be in the 9-10 playing game right now if the season were to end today. So the fact that the Rockets can't crack that, I mean, that that that's kind of what people should have expected. And, and I get it. It hasn't looked good, particularly these last two games, but – I mean, this is what happens when you play the best teams in the league. And when, this is what happens when you play the best teams in the league when they're healthy. Like, you're going to lose most of the time to those teams. And so I, I just – I don't know. I'm, I'm not – I guess I'm not as, like, caught up in it as some of the people are. And, you know, I, I'm going to throw two numbers at you from last night's game. 
And I think that if these numbers change just a little bit, maybe people are thinking differently. But the Rockets, they shot well from three in the first quarter. And then after that, they did not shoot well from three. The Rockets for the game last night were five of 22 on wide open threes. Wide open threes. That's when you don't have a defender within six feet of you. Five of 22 on wide open threes for the game. They were one of 10 in the second half. Like, you know, it's... But, it's, but that that that's... Adam, that's what's got people so frustrated. It's it's literally the things that you are saying, and maybe and maybe there's a there's an element to it for you of like, okay, you shouldn't be shocked or surprised by it, but I think it's gone past shock, surprise, or expectation the way it should or shouldn't be, and just just like a an affront to the way you feel like it should be, like. Like whoever, like if you don't want to blame the players or Ime Udoka or however you want to spread the blame around, Raphael Stone, whoever, but like who's responsible for the fact that you have a team in the Rockets that right now, excuse me, right now is centered around a traditional sort of throwback center in Alperin Shingun, a below the rim, crafty, witty offensive center is your best offensive player. And your offense is centered around that and built around him is essentially little to no shooting to where the, the numbers look like they, they did the way you just described them last night. And that's commonplace. Like, and I, I think that's what, I think that, I think that's what the, where the angst comes from, the, the, what boils down the frustration of, yeah, no, maybe, maybe it was unreasonable to expect the Rockets to be in the play in. And, and just a side note, Shame on the NBA for making the tenth seed something to aspire to, because I feel I feel weird about that as somebody who wants good things to happen to the Rockets. I'm sitting over here like, man, if they could just get to that tenth seed, it feels like such a loser mentality and and like way of life. But but like tangent aside, like aside from expectation, there is just a, oh my god, I can't believe that these guys can't make wide open shots. Like it's one thing that the guys are young or that they're developing. It's another thing that they've had, you know, health issues, and you can excuse that. But, like, wide-open shots, um, an offense that looks not too terribly different from what you've seen in years past when you were complaining. A lot of people were complaining about the coaching. Like, it's just – it just does not feel – somehow it is so much better than it was before, but it's still lacking in the way of being good enough. I do want to push, you know, I've seen this a lot, something that you just said about they have this team, they've, they've got a center, and they didn't surround them with shooters. I disagree with that, and I, I understand it has looked bad recently, but I'm going to give you, and I'm going to take one name out of this, but of the Rockets, I'm going to give you three-point attempts per game, and I'm going to give you their percentages. Fred Van Vliet is attempting 7.83s a game. He's shooting 37%. That's a fine number. Yeah. And again, that number, he was up around 40 about six weeks ago. And then yeah. that number has taken a dip. Dylan Brooks taking five a game. He's at 39.7%. That is really good. You will take that. Jabari Smith Jr. taking 4.7 a game. He's shooting 36%. Again, that that's a that's an above average number, slightly above average number. And that's taken a dip over the last however many weeks. Uh, Cam Whitmore is taking 4.4 threes a game in 17 minutes. He's shooting 38%. That's a good number. Aaron Holiday is shooting three a game. He's shooting 41%. Um, so it's not like they haven't, you know, 
overall, from a team standpoint, they have not shot the ball well. Now, I left one name out of there, and that would be Jalen Green, who's shooting six and a half a game, and he's shooting 30.8%. Okay, that's horrific, and that's that's really bad, and I think that that is a big reason why. I think that's what has all the shooting numbers kind of, you know, people freaking out about the shooting has been that their second highest volume three-point shooter is, frankly, one of the worst three-point shooters in the entire league. But I guess my point is they have shooting on the team, it has just been wildly inconsistent and pretty streaky. And right now they have been in a, in a stretch where nobody's making shots. And for whatever reason, it happens away from Toyota center. They shoot it pretty well at home. They can't buy buckets at uh, away from Toyota center. Yeah. Yeah. What are they, what do they got? Five wins on the road? Yes. Yes, they are. At, they're five and something. Yeah. Five and whatever. It's been it a while too. Yeah, man. It, <laughs> That's that is one thing that we haven't talked a lot about is how bad they are on the road and and maybe just not having a great explanation for it leads to not having much discussion about it. But that's been a problem as well. Like the fact that they just they go on the road and and basically don't show up. I think that's a that's a that's a big part of it. You, you throw away half your schedule. Yeah. And, and it makes you have to play perfect at home. And it's really hard to play perfect at home, especially when most of your home games are against teams from the Western Conference. You play 41 home games and uh, let's see, 26 of the 41 are against Western Conference teams. Most of those games are really difficult games. And so you basically have to run the table on those. And it's, it's hard to do that. It's amazing that they actually won in Denver. <laughs> That's what basically their best win of the year is winning at Denver. And I believe Denver was healthy that game too, which makes it even crazier. Yeah. It's, it's been one of those confounding things and it's obviously it's killed their season because when you just look at, I mean, the, the one win of, of this three game stretch, you know, they're, they're one in three coming out of the break. The one win is a really good win. And it's again, it's at home against Phoenix. And the fact that you can't build on that, it, it makes it really hard. And they've got some really bad road losses in that stretch. They've lost, they lost at Memphis, you know, not too long ago, they lost at Toronto. So, and I guess what's been bad about the road games is that for the most part, they aren't necessarily competing in these road games. And so all the good things that they wind up doing at home, you forget about as soon as they leave home and they play these awful games on the road where they're getting beat by double digits. So if we'd have done this show um, uh, after the Phoenix game, everything would be totally different. But because they went and played two games on the, or I guess Oklahoma city too, but because they go and play a, a, a bad game on the road where they're really not competitive after the first quarter, it kind of colors how you view the team. So I think that's where it's difficult to, to, I don't know, talk about it rationally. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and Smoke, it was also on national TV. It was also on TNT, which, like, to to you and I, does not matter. You know, we, we watch all the games, you you know, at pretty much all the home games, even travel some. Like, we don't really care about it being on TNT. But there was an element of, when we talk about how this team is being discussed, there was an element of embarrassment, I could tell, Tuesday night of like, hey man, nobody watches the Rockets or really knows what's going on here. And then this is what this is what they had to show to people. Yeah, you but know? it wasn't the real TNT. It, it wasn't Barkley and Kenny Smith and Ernie Johnson. It wasn't the real TNT. But actually, Brandon, I wrote about them possibly playing on TNT if they could have, you know, advanced to the playing tournament. <laughs> I wrote about that possibility. So don't say nobody cares about it. I cared about it. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, okay, let me let me push back on your shooter numbers that you put out because you did have and and there, 
I mean, you don't, we don't argue with numbers. They're, those are, those are all facts. All right. But you had qualifiers on almost all of them. And the big one was the one that you left out. Okay. The qualifiers were, the numbers were way better earlier on for both Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. Um, no, I think I think Brooks has been about at that forty percent range the entire. Or maybe, or am I thinking about Jabari? Jabari, Jabari, Jabari my, my bad, my bad, my bad. For Fred Van Vliet and Jabari, and then and then Dylan Brooks, you, you, that's the one where you're like, oh man, you're getting a lot more out of that than you probably could have reasonably expect. Even though I feel like his play, a, a little bit has has kind of dipped, certainly um, in the last couple of games, but um, or last game, but the qualifiers there, it was better before not as good now feels like there's a little bit of regression of the mean and maybe some of those numbers before felt like they were inflated. And then the big one is Jalen green. I think that's the, that's the big thing here, Spo. Like no matter how many different ways we talk about this team. Okay. The reason why, it's only raised its floor, but hasn't really done much for its ceiling is because its highest ceiling raising player has not done so, has not played that way. Like, I, I feel like if Jalen Green, and, and I think this is the hope, you tell me if you disagree with this, but I feel like there was a hope when they drafted Jalen Green, and even based off of his first couple of seasons and coming into this season, that he would turn into the type of player, I know he's a, or the caliber player, I should say. I know he's a different kind of type of player, but the caliber of player that we see Tyrese Halliburton turning into in, in, in Indiana with the Pacers, that we've seen Shea Gilders Alexander turn into an all NBA guy over the last couple of years now, MVP candidate now with the Oklahoma City Thunder. The type of player that Ja Morant is whenever he's healthy or allowed to play when he's not suspended. Like guys who are different from him, but have developed or are and he's he's behind all of those guys in years but the trajectory we're talking about he's not on that he's not performing to that caliber and i and i, and I feel like Jalen green not playing up to his potential puts a strain on everybody else it puts a strain on everything else because there was this reliant and this feeling that he would take a step and he'd be a better shooter. He'd be a better scorer. And, and, and for me, the frustrating part watching is, it's just like, man, he seems to have all the ability in the world. And I can't for the life of me figure out why he's not a better shooter, why he's not a better finisher at the rim, why he doesn't, you know, make things happen and finish through traffic the way that you would expect somebody with that athletic profile to do so why he's not getting to the free throw line the same way he was when he was really at his height last year or at the height of his game last year. Like the, these are the issues that I think if they, if they happen, we would be looking at a, at a much different, we would be obviously looking at a much different team. And I, I feel like, like all of its, all of its holes and faults are sort of exacerbated by the underperformance of one specific player. I, I think you are exactly right. And I, it has been a bad year. It started out okay. And then it has dipped. It has continued to dip. And he has not been able to dig out of that hole. 
And I don't know why. I don't know what it will take. But when you are playing, he was drafted. When you draft a guy second overall, especially in that draft, in that specific 2021 draft, which was considered to be excellent at that at the top, you thought that you were getting an all-star. You thought you were getting somebody who would be an efficient scorer, a guy who could possibly one day lead the league in scoring. And it just hasn't happened. And frankly, like you said, it feels like it's gotten worse. And it doesn't seem like that there is, you know, every now and then there's been a flash here, a flash there. It feels like those are becoming fewer and farther and further between. And it's, it is obviously hurting the offense when a guy who is taking the second most threes on your team is only making 30% of them. When a guy who is attempting, let's see, just total field goal percent of uh, field goal attempts. Uh, Jalen Green is right up there. Alperin Shingun attempts 15.3 attempts a game. He shoots 54%. Jalen Green is shooting 15 field goals a game. He's shooting 40%. So, I mean, you have a guy who is the usage rate is high and it's inefficient. Like it, it's hard to, it's hard to have a good offense when that is the case. And right now, when he has been on the floor, they haven't been a good offense. And I think a big reason is because of him. And it's it's just how it's gone. And he has done some things better this year. People got – last night's the first time that I've ever been ratioed for, like, being positive about a player. And it, yeah. it's crazy. Like, all, all I did – Kelly says something about how he made a, a good decision in transition. And I just said, yeah, hey. Decision making has been he's been better at that this season. Yeah, That's yeah. all. And I wasn't even talking about that specific game. I wasn't watching the game. I was at U of H. But like people around the team will tell you that yeah, that has been one aspect of his game that has improved this year. Now that doesn't mean that he's improved overall as a player. I don't think anybody would tell you that he's improved overall as a player. In fact, I think that people would tell you that he's taken steps back as a player this season. And it has it has obviously hurt them. And so I, I don't know. I, if I'm them and we've talked about the starting lineup stuff and, you know, I, there have been vast email about it. I, I, I double checked with Udoka uh, before the game Sunday, you're going to do anything with the lineup. And he said, no, we're going to stick, stick with the same five. And obviously I wasn't in Oklahoma city last night. I won't be in Phoenix tomorrow night, but you start to wonder like, where is this going? And at what point do you have to do something to change things up just for the good of the team? And I don't know the answer to that. I, I think that that is a really difficult question that they have to figure out right now. Well, I, I've got a question for you in a second, but just on your ratio real quick, because I was watching that and, and observing that. Because you and I have actually had this discussion about how he does make better decisions. But the disconnect that I saw in what you were saying and how people were responding to what you were saying was that all of these things are a part of the problem. The fact that it does seem like he makes better decisions. It does seem like he has a better grasp for the game. And he just flat out, for whatever reason, can't play. Well, he just can't shoot. That's what that's what I'm saying. That, yeah. That's what I'm saying. And that's what that's what this game is supposed to be. And so, like, and, and this is part of the reason for the ratio on you was because hey, he's making better decisions, but it's like, hey, go get your your smartest basketball nerd on Twitter to go out there and make good decisions. But that dude can't shoot. That dude can't play. I understand Jalen Green's obviously infinitely better than that. But but that's that's the issue. It's like, hey, he can make every good decision that he wants to. But if it's a brick or if he can't finish in traffic like he's supposed to, or if he's not drawing fouls, or if his handle is loose, 
he's not even like an, an unskilled or bad ball handler per se. He's just like a somewhat careless, loose ball handler at times, which is really odd. And it's like, okay, so if, if these things weren't the case, then everything should become, why isn't it coming together? I mean, it's, it's part of the frustrating part of it. It's like, okay, and I've, I've talked about this with you, better teammates, namely Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks, all right, and, and a better version of Alperin Shingoon. Let's just let's not leave that out there. And a better version of Jabari Smith Jr., all right? So better teammates that he's playing with. Ime Udoka, I think most people would acknowledge for whatever criticisms people might have out there on the internet that Ime Udoka's pretty good basketball coach, good coach. Why aren't you better? You know, you, you make better decisions. Why aren't you better? Like, uh, it, that to me, your point and people's frustration, to me, actually went more hand-in-hand hand than they realized. Here you got a guy who's in year three and should be and does seem to be a smarter basketball player than he was in year one when he came in as a teenager, yet for some reason his jump shot is as inconsistent, if not less consistent, um, and all these other things that I just mentioned. So, like, it's like all this is a problem, you know? Like, yeah, they – Everybody wanted him to process better and to make better reads and to make better decisions back when they thought he had all of this elite skill and ability. Now he's making better reads and better decisions, and this elite skill and ability is not revealing itself. So it's like, holy shit, you're you are you are screwed on both ends, it seems here. Whether he's making the right move or not, it's not resulting in consistent winning basketball play. This is a question I want to ask you though. Because we're trying to find solutions, and I don't think we have them. If we did, we'd have higher-paying jobs and bigger roles than what we have now. But I thought, or have been thinking about it over the last couple of weeks, that, like, man, I do think Jalen Green could benefit from a benching from the standpoint of he's not a consistent enough player right now. Frustratingly, not a consistent enough player right now to feel good about as a starter. And, and, I, and I know people, we get into this argument about starters minutes and starting versus, you know, closing and like, how does the minute allocation matter? But just stick with me here for a second. I feel like he's not a consistent enough player to really be a good starter, but he's like significantly more talented than most second unit guys, than most bench players. And so I wonder if, Okay, you know, you just if you bring him off the bench as like a as a spark, does that help him? Does that get him going? You know, like aside from the psychological hurdle of going from being a starter to a bench player, is him playing against bench units a better idea? Is that exploiting some sort of mis mismatch and giving him an opportunity? to get into some sort of flow. Do you think that there's anything to that, that a, a player of, of Jalen Green's talent level coming off the bench playing against second units, like to start the game, could maybe get him going, could benefit him in some way? There could be. And I had this conversation with somebody back when he was struggling as a rookie, that, hey, maybe you bring him off the bench. It takes some of the pressure off. Like you said, he gets to play against second unit defenders as opposed to, you know, the first unit defenders. Maybe he's not... On the you know maybe he's not the guy that that defenses are uh, or that the defense is like 
focused on. So, I mean, at this point, nothing could hurt. Um, and I do think that they need to try and figure out exactly what he is at this point, just so that they can have a, a grasp of it. And just like, does is he somebody that you want to have, you know, on the team moving forward? And I think that they, they need to figure out a way to, to put him in a position to be successful. And right now it doesn't feel like he's in a position to be successful. And I think some of this has been mental for him this year. I think that, I think we've talked about this before, Brandon, but I, I wonder, you know, he, this is a guy who didn't play college basketball. You know, he played in the G League, which, you know, is fine. Um, but he never really had any negativity around him really until this year. You know, he didn't have to, you know, nobody cared what they did in the G League. When he was a rookie and when he was a second year guy, if he would play bad, uh, you know, it's he's young, you know, he's developing, he's getting better. Whenever he would have a, a 20 point game, everybody online would lose their minds. And now all of a sudden there has been so much negativity around him and it's piercing through like the negativity is getting back to him and he hasn't reacted well to the negativity. And I, I think that again, for the first time, basically probably in his whole life, at least basketball life, He's having to deal with that negativity, and it just hasn't worked. And I, I thought that maybe the All-Star break would do him some good, get away from basketball, clear your head, come back, be ready to go, and it it hasn't worked. So I, I don't know what you do at, at this point, but it, it feels like the last time we talked about this um, after the break, you know, I, I said I would probably just leave him in the starting lineup just because I, I don't know what the other option would be, um, whether you go Amen Thompson, whether you go Cam Whitmore. But frankly, it, it kind of feels like it's hurting the team more to have him in the starting lineup because it just it's just not working. And I don't know if that's a good answer or not, and it's kind of you know running in circles here, but that's just how it feels right now is that it's just – it does feel like you need to do something to change things up at this point because the team is not playing well. He is not playing well. And it just, what's the the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing over and over and over again. And I just, he's been the one, con, you know, he's played every game. He started every game this year. And I just, if, if there were signs of life, if there were signs of progress, then maybe I would be seeing a different tune. And that was why Yudoka said that he wasn't going to change the starting lineup because he wanted to see those five guys play together again. And maybe that consistency would do Jalen some good. And here we are four games in and it really, it, it just, it hasn't. And I, I want to, I should have done this a second ago, but just looking at his game log for these four games, again, I thought the break would do him some good. It would give him some time to to clear his head and, you know, to all that other stuff. But Jalen Green in four games since the All-Star break, 10 points on 3 of 14 shooting, 24 minutes. Uh, 14 points on 5 of 13 shooting, 21 minutes. 11 points on 5 of 13 shooting, 32 minutes. And then last night, 16 points on 6 of 17 shooting, 28 minutes. So there has not been any progress made, there has not been a, a, a tick up in his level of play. So I, I don't know if four games is enough to make that determination, but it, it feels like we're getting right to that edge where they're going to probably have to do something. Yeah, man, like the play 
the moment that felt like sort of I don't I'm not gonna say indicative because he's been better than this, but the moment that really felt like like just it's like a, it was a blooper moment. But you remember when I think it was I can't remember if it was Alpie or Jabari Smith, but I, I, maybe it was Jabari trying to save the ball from out of bounds. Hit him in the face, and they saved the ball, and it hit him right off the face. And you know that that's a moment that I think I don't want to say survive, but I think that's a moment that anybody else can have and just shrug it off. And he and he didn't like seem like humiliated by it. Just like he kind of laughed it off there in the moment, from what I could tell. But that that's a moment that I feel like says nothing is a blooper that says nothing to most players. But when you're struggling the way that Jalen Green is and has been, it it does feel like a microcosm of your season and your moment, you know, just saving the ball right off of your face. You know, um, just just a, a, a an odd moment to, to kind of observe to, for it to be that guy, because that feels like that could have like honestly happened to anybody. But it was Jalen, um, the guy who's been struggling and. You know, it was just as, as far as this like benching versus starting thing. Like, I don't know. I, like, honestly, and the, this is the frustration for me with the team is I just I don't know if it's flat out. If, if this is what Jalen is. And if we're talking about like if. Bringing him off the bench is going to be a spark or help him out any like to me, this team is just flat out not really good enough, no matter if he's in the starting lineup or not like having to reconcile that or come to grips with that over these last however many games are left to me is like its own thing. But, but, but to me, you do have to try to figure out a way to reach this guy and to save this guy in in, in some form or fashion, because they can put him on the trade block and he can be a trade candidate over during the off season, but they do still have time to rectify this sort of thing or just sort of right this ship we, we talked before about not being like in a big rush to make decisions like he's extension eligible but it's not like you gotta trade him and you gotta get him out of the door or anything like that like there's no real rush on this thing you still have a little bit of time to allow him to develop so like in the name of that if you've got to make some drastic moves to reach him then to me maybe this is the one maybe this is the one that you make because again, I think it could benefit him from a hey, let's get him going standpoint. And then obviously the team, we talked about this in the last episode. I think they benefit from having, you know, a better defender and maybe a more consistent. And this is why, like a man Thompson, I think you know what his limitations are and what they're supposed to be, as opposed to having this expectation that Jalen Green's gonna be a volume shooter, but not a very good one. Like no one's ex- expecting. I saw a man Thompson jump shots from the perimeter type of like, it's like, he's not going to be shooting a bunch of threes. You know that you're going to, you're going to operate and design your offense around that. So to me, there is a little bit of addition by subtraction there. I think it could benefit the team and maybe Jalen in that way. Yeah. I, I, at this point, what do you have to lose? Because obviously what they're doing now isn't working. And I, I feel like we have said, 
you know, he's got X amount of games to prove himself or X amount of games to do this and show that he deserves an extension. And we're running out of games at this point. You know, we're down to 24 games and just what what they're doing now, it's not working and he's not playing well and it's hurting the team at this point. So would it benefit Jalen Green from being benched? Maybe, but it would probably benefit the team more. And I think that's kind of the direction that they should look to at this point. Just they're probably not going to be in the play-in, but they can at least try and make something out of the season because there's there there is no benefit to tanking for them. I mean, to go from you know a fourteen percent chance of keeping the pick to a twenty-two percent chance, you know, whatever it's that's as negligible as it gets. Man, I, I would say you know we talked about the the games and the, t- the t- amount of time to you know however many games left to prove he's extension eligible or worthy extension worthy. I feel like we're past that. No, no, it's it, now it's roster worthy. Yeah, now it's, it's can you yeah. be? But now is this somebody who's good enough to be part of the future of the team? Yeah, and I think the answer right now, at least, it, it's not yes at this point. Like, there's nothing that I've seen that that makes you think yes to to the to answer that question. Um, so I don't know. It's it's been, I think, for the most part. This has been a, a successful season just because they've won more. They have seen a lot of their guys get better. Um, the two guys that they brought in in free agency have been good. Um, the rookies have played, I think, better than people would have expected them to play. But it, it kind of gets canceled out by Jalen Green taking steps back this season. Does – does Fred Van Vliet look tired to you or overworked? He's playing a lot of minutes, not a very big guy. We know he had the injury recently, came back from the injury. You know, they wanted to see what the starting looked like, starting lineup looked like once Fred Van Vliet was inserted into it again. And he started, we talked about this earlier. He started off the season really strong, shooting the ball. And I think still provides a lot of the things that you want. And, and expect out of Fred Van Vliet in terms of the leadership, the intangibles, the defense. But to me, man, he looks tired, overworked, maybe still injured. I'm not sure, but he doesn't quite look the same to me. What do you think? Um, I mean, it wasn't good yesterday, but the two games before that, he was pretty good. No, he was good. He just, he, he just looks, man, he's already not a quick guy. I don't know, man. He looks a little, uh, I don't know, slower. I don't know, man. He looks tired to me, man. Overworked, like like it, like it's like it's wearing on him. He's played a lot of minutes, played a lot of minutes over the years, playing a lot of minutes right now. Uh, I know Emma Yudoka's talked about managing his minutes, uh, better or you know maybe trying to think about managing his minutes, but there's not really anything they can do because they can't. Th- there's not really a lot of lineups that they can run out there without him, you know. So they kind of have to play him a lot of minutes. It feels like kind of a dilemma, a predicament there. But they've actually done a, a a somewhat decent job of bringing those minutes back under control. Like he had a stretch early in the year where he was playing 40 minutes every single – I have it right here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He, he, there was like a nine out of ten game stretch where he was at 39 minutes or more. Um, he's not – since they've come back from the break, or even you want to go before the break um, – January 27th, 39 minutes, uh, January 29th, 30, 37, the 31st, 37, 
Uh, February 2nd, it was 25 minutes. February 4th, it was 32 minutes. Then he was hurt for the five games. Since he's come back, since the break, 30 minutes, 37 minutes, 38 minutes, 36 minutes. Again, is it maybe a smidge too high? Maybe, but it's it's not out of control the way that it was. And then, of course, he had a long break in between. He went from he played February 4th and did not play again until the 22nd. So there was a break involved in there. So I, I don't know if he's tired. I just think that it's been a long year for everybody. And I think that everybody kind of goes through it at this point. Now, maybe the, the minutes from November and December ha- have taken a toll. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't. I don't I don't sit here and think that he looks tired or overworked though to be honest with you. I just think that maybe maybe the adductor is still bothering him. It's hard to say. Yeah, I'm looking here over the last 11 games he's averaging a shade under 13 points. And you know, he had a couple of good games before this this past one. But this past one was a was a bad one. And before that, he was, you know, a strong 17 made a game. You know, it's it the the production has dipped. You know, and I know there's a gap in between there. The, yeah, the last two and a half week gap in the, in that eleven it, game stretch that you're yeah. talking about. But 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 maybe that's maybe that's the explanation of it. You know, maybe it's not tired and overworked. Maybe trying to get back in rhythm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's very possible. Except that he he was one of seven from three last night, and then. Um, against Phoenix he was 6 of 14 in the first Oklahoma City game he was 4 of 10 and he was he was 2 of 6 against New Orleans I, it might just be a home road thing just like the rest of the team he's 38% at home he's 36% on the road so I, I i don't think i don't think defensively he's been the same I, I think the thing that has stood out for me has been the turnovers and yeah. and may, maybe that's being tired or maybe it's just rhythm but um 12 turnovers in in four games so three turnovers a game um, this is a guy who did not turn the ball over. So three turnovers a game since he came back. Um, he was at one and a half turnovers a game before he got hurt. So the turnovers have doubled since he's returned. So maybe that's what it is. And yeah. so, I, but so maybe it's rhythm. Maybe, I mean, they, they played better defenses. I mean, you play, well, the last two games, they played better defenses. So I, uh, it's, it's just one of those confounding things. That's, but yeah, I, I think the turnovers are what stand out to me more than anything else because that's that's what he was so good at at the start of the year, and that's why they were a functioning offense as opposed to the last three years was because they took really good care of the ball, and now they aren't really taking care of the ball, and when you don't take care of the ball and you don't make shots, you're not going to score a lot of points, and that's kind of what they're at right now. Yeah, man, uh, and, and I think he is a good example of what we were talking about earlier with Jalen Green, not to pile on with the Jalen Green thing, but how the struggles have an impact on everything else, sort of this residual effect. There, there is some pressure on, you know, especially when you're your backcourt mate and, and the guy who's a high volume shooter isn't shooting it well. There's some to me some pressure in perimeter scoring, uh, in, in making shots, knocking down shots. Uh and I wonder, I wonder, I don't have this fully fleshed out in my mind, but I wonder how much that impacts turnovers, fatigue, and overall shooting when, you know, not that you're trying to necessarily carry somebody else's load, but at the very least, the other, somebody else isn't fully shouldering it. And, and that void is not being filled in any other place. So it's like, okay, so where are we going to get this from? 
You know, we're not getting it here. Where are we going to get it from? All right. All right, Fred. All right, Dylan. All right, Jabari. All right. You know, let's, you know, heavy Shingoon. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's like, okay, so you start just looking elsewhere to find this production that you'd like to get in this out of this one spot. And it kind of kind of puts that strain on. He he's he to me is a is another example of that. Another fair example of that. Yeah, that's fair. Um all right, so the last thing I want to get to is the roster. And we talked a little bit about this earlier when we were having the discussion about shooting, whether they've been, you know, whether Alper and Shingoon's been surrounded by enough shooting, whether they're the, you know, the shooters are good enough. And you put out the numbers that suggest they do have, you know, a, a couple of, you know, their shooting may, maybe not is maybe not as bad as it seems um, from the overall numbers. And, and maybe even, again, not to pile on Jalen, but maybe even his poor numbers are bringing the overall shooting down. But to me, when they play these good teams, you were talking about this earlier about not uh, not knowing what people expect when they play a team the caliber of Phoenix or certainly Oklahoma City, who's a, cha a legitimate championship contender. But to me, what happens a lot of times, especially when they, you know, when they don't like really get up for the game, like sometimes, you know, they, they would do last year and a few times earlier on this year when they beat good teams. But when they play these good teams, it just feels like the the flaws in their roster are really just exposed. Um whether you want to talk about how exactly it's constructed in terms of fit or just in terms of overall talent, that is what stand, it stands out. You know, like what did you expect is one thing, but also like, and I, I mentioned this when I was on the radio today, man, when I watched them against Oklahoma city, the talent gap between their core players of like, Obviously, maybe let's not hold anybody to an SGA standard, but from SGA to Chet Holmgren to Jalen Williams, not the Arkansas one, but the other one. Uh, maybe, I mean, even Jalen Williams, that one is a good one. But like those three players, though, the, 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 the drastic difference between them and some of the Rockets core pieces is just so like. Like, like to me, that is that is a frustrating part of this season is that maybe some things are revealing themselves that you already knew, which is that this team is not actually good enough to compete in the Western Conference. But the, the flaw in how the roster is built and what the roster actually look, looks like feels like it's being exposed as they play this difficult stretch of whatever it is, eight games coming out of the all-star break, where however many games it is against these good teams. I mean, on the Oklahoma city front, if you were to do a draft and you were to pool all the Rockets players and all the Thunder players, I think you would probably take the three Thunder guys ahead of anyone on the Rockets. Yeah. And that's, but that's, that's, they're really good. I mean, they, they are really good. I, I don't know if this is necessarily a, a flaw on roster construction, just because, it is a roster constructed with high-end first-round picks and then some veteran free agent signings. And the free agent signings were supposed to essentially supplement the first-round picks. So you would hope that they could do the heavy lifting. And so far, and I mean, unfortunately, you got to 
kind of point the finger at the first of the drafted guys, but those guys have not necessarily pulled their weight. And I don't know if that's like an organizational failure. Like we could go do a, a redraft of the 2021 draft and the 2022 draft. And I don't know, we were both kind of on the Evan Mobley train in 2021, but like you look at the 2022 draft, um, Oklahoma city took Chet Holmgren ahead of Houston. So like, would you, they have done anything different there? Like, would they have gone in a different direction from Jabari Smith jr? No. Should they have probably not? Uh, and then obviously last year, they, the 2023 draft, they just, they had the fourth pick and that fourth pick is playing more, but he's not quite, he's a long way off. So I, I think that, the timeline for the thunder is just a little bit different, but, and I think also the one thing, um, Gildas Alexander has been in the league a long time now. I mean, he's been in the league. I think he was drafted in 2018. Like he's been, it he's is, been around. This is like year six, maybe yeah. six or yeah, so maybe seven, six or six, somewhere in there. So Holmgren was the, he was the second overall pick, but then Jalen Williams was, he was in college for a while. I don't know if he was a four-year guy, but, it's not like he came out as a freshman out of Santa Clara. So they went a little bit older and that's helped them. So, you know, I would say that Oklahoma city has done a better job of constructing their roster, but I think that you would probably say that. I think if you compared Oklahoma city with the 28 other teams, you would probably say, you know what? Oklahoma city's roster is better constructed than what team X has at this point. So I think that that's a tough, it's a tough comparison to make just because of how good that team is. Yeah, that, uh, that's fair enough. I think all of those points are fair. I, I would say that there's something about the proximity of Oklahoma city and the history with Oklahoma city being trade part, like high profile trade partners with them twice. So there's a, I don't know. So I don't want to call it kinship, but there's a feeling of closeness to them and parallels to them and what well, the Rockets have going on. And both teams finished at the bottom of the standings for back-to-back yeah. -back years until Oklahoma City took that next step. But again, it helped when they already had Shea Gilgis-Alexander on the roster when they started their rebuild. Like that, that helped out a significant amount. And then they made obviously some really good trades and they, they appeared to have struck gold with Jalen Williams and also with Chet Holmgren. So, um, it, it is hard to rely on young players. Like it really is like, you're not setting yourself up for success when you do this. And that's kind of the boat that the Rockets have put themselves in. And some of the, like Shingun and Jabari Smith, they've kind of taken that next step. Jalen green has not. Whereas all the Oklahoma city guys have seemingly just gotten better year after year after year. And so that's, what's hard about it. All right, I'm I'm in this podcast with a hot take, and it is. Hold on, awesome. Put up exposing the roster up there real quick. Leave it up there. I'm in this podcast with a hot take, and it is what I really, really mean when I say that this roster construction has been exposed as flawed, and this is what I'm talking about. I will forever look back at this offseason fully believing and feeling, and people are going to get mad about this, but I don't care. Fully believing and feeling that the Rockets brass being whatever combination of Ime Udoka and Rafael Stone and whoever else helps them make these decisions was just flat out wrong in valuing Fred Van Bleed over James Harden. 
I don't know how likely it was that he act. I don't like. I don't know how real any of it actually was. I don't. But to whatever degree that it was, and to whatever extent that it was believed that somehow, like this, this thought that somehow Fred Van Bleet, as a lesser player but more mature adult, was better for this team, and maybe even more specifically for the development of the young players. It's just something that I will never, ever able to be able to get myself behind. Never a thought that I would be able to get myself behind, even though, especially in retrospect, even though I tried to entertain it and and like give it give it some breathe some life into it after it came to be. But I look back on that. I reflect on it. And I think, man, James Harden is just a better player would have been a better play now it was better for him to go to the clippers and i'm pretty sure he's much happier where he's at than probably being here i would imagine because that's a better team and he's got better teammates over there but from a rocket standpoint the flaw in the roster was to whatever degree they decided that they that james harden was not good enough for this team i believe that i will believe i will believe that until my dying days adam can I ask you a follow-up to that question? Sure. What if this summer the Rockets use Fred Van Vliet to trade for somebody? Oh, yeah. No, I, I acknowledge. Here, here's, here's what I'll acknowledge about the future. The, the present is, you know, crap. I think the future is still something that you could be optimistic about. Even to the degree of, like, not necessarily giving up on Jalen Green, even though that looks like it's, you know, taking the wrong turn but i will say like credit to i'll give rafael stone this much credit is that the deals that have been made offer a great deal of flexibility and opportunity for them to make drastic moves or like some type of drastic overhaul of the roster and it doesn't take a lot to you know you know to make a drastic move or to be a to count as a drastic overhaul of the roster all you'd have to do is you know insert one great player or take one away whatever it is but uh, i i think that the roster flexibility is a positive and so i would feel i feel good about the potential for that happening and i'd probably feel good about it actually happening if they were able to pull it off for a uh you know for a good enough player and let's just remember um when we talk about the future of the team we they have the ability to make moves this summer but if they don't they're going to wind up getting a top 10 pick from Brooklyn and keep an eye on that, um, on that pick swap they have with the Nets next year, because it essentially becomes a picks, an Oklahoma city Brooklyn pick swap because the Rockets have to swap their pick with Oklahoma city first, unless it falls you know inside the top 10. But let's say Oklahoma, let's say the Rockets wind up with the 11th pick Oklahoma city winds up with the 30th pick Rockets and thunder flip. So Oklahoma city would get 11 Rockets would get 30, but then the Rockets would flip with Brooklyn. And Brooklyn, it does not. It looks like the Nets are going to be pretty bad next year, so that could wind up being another really high draft pick that the Rockets wind up with from the Nets, and then the Rockets control Brooklyn's next drafts going, you know, from twenty twenty six to twenty twenty seven. So they are still in a good position. I understand that this season is not going well right now, but they're still sitting in a pretty good position. All right, man. Well, we got more Phoenix. Got got more Phoenix back to back Suns games, if I'm not mistaken here. Thursday yes. and Saturday. So should be a good time. You know, more 
more opportunity to be critical of the team since they're, you know, since they're playing a good team and and, and they're probably outmatched and overmatched. And um, I know they beat them the last time, but man, imagine, imagine they lose both of these games, how like ridiculous the, the discourse is going to get like it's, it's headed in the wrong direction. And the schedule is, is obviously unforgiving for the caliber of basketball that they are playing. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how these next couple of days are going to develop. But we do this every week. It's H-Town Hoops Podcast. Uh, make sure that you are subscribing, rating, reviewing. Tell a friend. Uh, it really helps the podcast. You can check us out also in video form on the Sports Radio 610 YouTube for Adam Spillane, Austin Mendez, who handles this thing for us on the other side and behind the scenes. We appreciate you. Um, I'm Brandon Scott. Y'all be good. Till next time.